while the band is sitting down, I've got a song for us to listen to. So uh, hopefully this is going to work, Isaac and Ash. See if you recognize it. Hey, baby, how about this dance? Why? It takes two to do this dance. It takes two to tango. Two to tango. Two to really get the feeling of romance. Let's do the tango. Do the tango. Do the dance of love. And you can say Thank on you. the ship. There we go, Louis Armstrong from 1952. It takes two to tango. Two to tango, two to really get the feeling of romance. Two to tango, two, let's do the tango. Do the dance of love. Right, well we're in First Peter, which completely, completely fits in with that song, doesn't it? Because we're, in our passage in First Peter chapter three, we're having Peter address us on God's design for husbands and wives in this relationship of marriage, this beautiful dance of love, a dance, a tango, if you like, where it takes two uh, to dance this dance of marriage, where each person uh, hopefully knows the steps that they are to do, and so they can step onto the dance floor of, of married life in one heart and one mind with the as Peter is telling us, the man leading and the woman responding and complimenting his steps in this beautiful dance of love. And if we can apply 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7, husbands and wives, uh, I think we can dance a dance of love worthy of winning Strictly Come Dancing. Now, uh, last week we looked at verses 1 to 6 and we outlined the wife's unique step unique steps in this dance of love in verses 1 to 6. We talked about the actions of a godly wife, the adornment of a godly wife, and the attitude of a godly wife. How, how God, through the words of the Apostle Peter, calls wives to be women who hope in God, seen in their gentle and quiet spirit and their submissiveness to their own husband. And let me just uh, say, ladies, thank you very much for your humility last week and in listening uh, and the responses and the encouragement that came throughout the week. Uh, and we, my, many, all of these responses were faith-filled uh, responses uh, uh, suggesting a desire to want to grow and obey God in this area for which I was very grateful. Uh, and let me just say as well, ladies, thank you for your patience while you've waited for this week. <laughs> no, it's finally here. Many of you, I'm sure, have been gently and quietly and submissively praying this week that this will be a full-strength, double-barreled sermon where you are praying that I, I really, Lord, let this be the week that he doesn't preach for 30 minutes. Uh, let me tell you, I'm not going to do that. It's going to be about 15 because the longer I go, the deeper the hole I dig for myself. Uh, so, no. Now, here we go. We're going to outline the husband's roles and responsibilities, his steps in the dance of love this morning. And hopefully, even though you might not be a husband this morning, there's something for everybody again. Now, at the end of last week, I joked about how is it that wives get six verses and the husbands just get one? That doesn't seem fair. Is that because wives need more help? No. Is that because husbands have less to learn? Well, certainly not. Let me give you a, a reason for why I think Peter addresses six verses to wives and one verse to husbands. 
Imagine if you were Peter's original audience hearing this letter for the first time. And in this section in particular, which began in uh, verse 11 of chapter 2, Peter's main concern, his primary concern, is addressing elect exiles, those Christians who live in a world hostile to Jesus, who are without power, are, are people who are facing opposition, and he's writing to strengthen them and to encourage them and tell them how to live under the oppression of a hostile world. And so we said he begins in verse 13, submit to the governments. But he doesn't address the governments. Then in verse 18, he says, submit to your master or your employer. But he doesn't address masters or employers. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, likewise, wives, submit to your own husbands. And then, in verse, and then he gives a bunch of instructions. And then in verse 7, you get likewise. Now, if you were listening for the very first time, probably what was would, would have been going through your mind would have been, okay, he's addressed citizens under a, an oppressive government. He's addressed slaves and employees under oppressive masters. Okay, he's addressed wives who, for some, live without, um, who live with unbelieving husbands. I wonder which group, which under pressure group he's going to address next. Maybe he's going to address children. Maybe he's going to address the socially outcast. Maybe he's going to address the poor. And then you hear it read out, likewise, husbands. And what would have gone through your minds, I think, if you were listening for the very first time is, let's hit the pause button and let's just rewind. Did he actually say husbands? And far from thinking that, well, this is grossly unfair, how disproportionate that I have six verses and he only has one, the original readers would have actually been absolutely gobsmacked that Peter was going off-piste, if you like, to address someone in a relative position of authority because he hasn't done that before. And so the thought should go through the mind of the original reader. God must have something super important to say to husbands. <clears throat> we better pay close attention. And so we should this morning, because although verse 7 is brief, it's with no less force than what the first six verses of chapter 3 had to say. And in fact, guys, this one verse is more than enough for us to consider this morning, because it is going to provide, it's one verse that provides a clear and compelling summary of every husband's God-given calling. And it requires a lifetime of daily application to obey it so read with me this one verse if you would please God's word to us likewise or continuing on husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for one verse that addresses husbands this morning who need your help. Father, we pray that you would speak clearly and concisely now to our hearts and not just our heads. 
and that the words on this page would jump off the page and make a difference in our lives and in our marriages, that we might dance a dance of love with our spouse that represents Jesus and his church and brings you glory. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we had three A's for wives, as I already said, action, adornment and attitude. This week I've got two R's for husbands, two R's. Firstly, we're going to look at the role of the husband and then we're going to look at the reasons why he should do what he's called to do. So two R's. Let's begin with the role of the husband. As I said, verse seven summarizes the role and the responsibility of husbands. And it does so in with two commands. The first command is this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this is a broad and kind of sweeping command, which if we were to translate the Greek literally, it would be live with your wife according to knowledge. So the first question we should ask is, what does he mean by live according to knowledge? What knowledge? What is it that we need to understand in order to live in an understanding way? Well, let me put it like this. Husband, your role is to be a data collector. Our role, let me include myself in that. Our role as husbands is to be data collectors of any and all knowledge of any kind that would be beneficial and helpful in helping us cultivate a godly marriage with our wives. Any and all knowledge that would be beneficial to help us cultivate a healthy and a holy marriage relationship with our wife. Now, obviously, two immediate areas jump out, I hope. The first vital area is knowledge about God and his word and his gospel and what his will is for your married life together and what are the purposes that he outlines in the scriptures for marriage and what are the principles for marriage that he wants us to live by. Guys, listen, we, how can we exercise our God-given role and responsibility if we don't know what God says? If we don't know his word and we don't know his plans, how can we do the job that he calls us to do? You see, there, there's a whole, all sorts of men in this room. There are men who love sports and they spend hours poring over their fantasy football team. And then there are other men in the church who think that's nuts. And they're into music or films or TV or the arts. Or there's guys who know how to fix things or how to build things. There's car guys, there's book guys, there's finance guys, there's guys who love history and politics. But all of us must be Bible guys. We must be Bible guys. We must be experts, growing experts in knowing and handling and understanding and applying the knowledge of God and his word. If we're to live with our wives in an understanding way. You see, to lead your home, you don't need to know more about the Bible or more about God than your wife. Okay, and there are there will be it will be true in this room and in our church that there were there are husbands who always feel like they're playing catch up because they became a Christian later than their wife or they didn't have the upbringing that their wife did or they didn't know they, they didn't have the input and memorize the Bible in ways that their wife did. And you play, you feel like you're always playing catch up and you, maybe I shouldn't lead until I know more than her. Well, that's nonsense. The Bible calls us to lead in our homes. And it's not about IQ or who knows more or who has more experience or who is even more competent to do it. It's about what God calls. And he says, guys, we're to lead in our homes 
and we're to lead in line with God's word and in light of God's word. So my first exhortation to us as husbands is, guys, let's get our nose dirty with God's word. Read it deeply, regularly, frequently. Study it. Seek God in it and grow in the knowledge of his word so that you can live in an understanding way with your wife. Now, the second vital area of knowledge is, if we're going to live with our wives in an understanding way, is we've got to know our wife. We've got to know our wife. So, guys, this is a call to be a PhD level research scientist in a very narrow yet glorious field of inquiry. And that is to pursue an intimate, personal knowledge of your wife. Not all women in general, your wife. And this knowledge should include knowing her physical and spiritual well-being. It should, knowing, it should in, involve getting to know her likes, her dislikes, her preferences, her desires, her goals, her emotions, her moods, her frustrations, her fears, her strengths, her God-given gifts, her sins, her weaknesses, the areas of temptations, what her hormone cycles are like, where her particular sensitivities lie, what makes her tick, what makes her laugh in the kitchen, cry in the bathroom, purr in the bedroom, no seasons of life that she is in what needs that she has, what challenges she faces, where she needs to be encouraged, then we should learn from our wives, know what her view is on stuff, ask her about stuff and what she feels about stuff, get her perspective on you and your home and your children, know her. You will find nuggets of gold that you did not expect if you do that. And guys, don't rely on your manly instincts. Oh, I got a nose for this kind of thing. Don't think, don't be all trial and error. Well, I tried that. No, 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 no. Be curious. Study your wife. Watch her. Talk to her. Right? Even more radical. Listen to what she says. All right? Write stuff down. And let's commit it to memory. And that's hard work. But knowledge that we need to live with our wives in an understanding way can't be acquired apart from the regular and frequent and consistent and unhurried, undistracted, private time of the two of you on, the, on your own together. No one else around. And that, that doesn't mean go to the cinema and sit in the dark and silence for two hours. That means talk and listen. And then with all of this data that we've gathered, crunch the numbers, process it all with the single goal of living with your wife in an understanding way. And what Peter means is when you've discovered something about your wife, let it affect the way that you love and lead her. So this is not, listen, let me just say this. Uh, wives, I hope you'll be pleased to hear this. Listen, it's not study your wife so that you can change her to be your fictional fantasy wonder woman. Okay, the Bible never says, husbands, as your role as head of the house, it's your mission in the marriage to fix your wife and change her and all the things that you don't like about her. No, the call is study your wife. Get to know her intimately and personally and deeply so that you can lead her with understanding, and with kindness, and with tenderness 
and gentleness and care and love and patience and grace and consideration and compassion. And so that you can lead in repentance and forgiveness. Let me, let me just make a quick aside if I can. You know, it may have come to your attention that sometimes husbands and wives argue. Yeah? No? All right. Well, it happens to pastors and their wives, because Pete and June told me. Uh, <laughs> so, and, I, and I, I don't know what happens when you get mad. So, some people, uh, when they get mad at each other, it blows up and it's a fiery hotness and there's anger displayed. So other, other couples, they go into this kind of icy, kind of cold shoulder, deep freeze kind of thing now whatever it is that happens when the two of you get mad at one another whether you blow up or you go ice cold husbands you ought to be we ought to be the first person in every situation who is seeking to pour water on the flames or get out the de-icer and thaw the frost that's our responsibility that's part of living with our wives in an understanding way we lead in repentance and forgiveness. John Piper, I once heard him say this, he says, husbands should be the one who is most often saying let's. I don't think this will come up on the screen, unfortunately. He, said, he says, the husband should be the one who says let's the most. Let's talk about that. Let's go on a date. Let's find a place for dinner. Let's get a babysitter. Let's read a book together. Let's pray. Let's go to church. Let's sign up to serve here. Let's go on holiday. Say let's a lot. That's part of what living with your wife in an understanding way means. Listen, guys, on the final day when we stand before the throne of God above and we have to give an account for our lives and for the life of our family and our wife, we will not be able to plead cluelessness or ignorance as an excuse for poor leadership and sin. All right? God, it, it ain't going to wash with God if we get to the throne of grace and, he, and we say, you know what, God, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And I just don't understand women. He's not going to go, you're right, neither do I. <laughs> yeah, I get you, go on. No, he's going to say, you are an idiot. Too many of us can be fixated on our own selfish needs and our desires and our ambitions too many of us bring a view borrowed from the world, contrary to God's command, into our marriages and into our relationships with our wives. Too many of our homes, it's the wife who's doing all the considering of everyone and everything. And it's the husbands that are taking the least line of resistance and opting out of our role and responsibility and not living according to knowledge of God or our wives. And so... Peter calls us, God calls us here in verse 7. Guys, he, we are called to a profound sense of thoughtfulness and carefulness and consideration of our wives every day until death do us part. The command here in verse 7 is in the present tense. That means it's continuous and ongoing. There's always new stuff to learn about our wives because they're growing and changing and maturing and aging. And getting different interests and having different thoughts about stuff and being 
challenged by different things. There's their season of life or the situation that you're both in changes. And so our wives should be endlessly fascinating to us. So let me ask you a question, men. Okay, what's your study plan to get to know your wife this week? All right, this week, because good intentions are never enough. We always fail. And this kind of knowledge doesn't just appear spontaneously. Okay, we've got to know our wives. We've got to turn off the TV, put down the book or the newspaper, lay aside the computer or the headphones. We've got to leave the lawnmower and the paintbrush in the garage. We've got to surgically detach ourselves from our phones. Say that to me. We've got to put down our phones. Whatever distractions might hinder us, and get to know our wives. Now, if you don't know where to begin, let me give you one question to ask to your wife. How can I grow in living with you in an understanding way? And then when you've asked it, listen to her give you the response. Don't defend yourself, humble yourself and pay attention. Then as appropriate, repent, pray, change, grow. Then return next week for a checkup appointment and ask her how you're doing. And then wives, if I can just address you this morning, here's your little bit in the sermon. If your husband is brave enough to come and ask you this question this week, just give him maybe like one or two things. <laughs> Make it an achievable list, all right? Don't just like, oh, finally, and then like, get out the list, and it's as long as wallpaper, and you like, throw it down the stairs, and you're like, finally, and you find, husbands find that it's typed up in six-point font, and it's as long as a wallpaper, and you give him an achievable list of maybe one or two things for this week that he can do to live with you in an understanding way. And then pray for him. Listen, this is going to be awkward at first, but so is learning how to ski. And people do that because they want to. So if you want to grow in, in obeying God, do something. You don't have to use my plan or my question, but do something. You're, our wives deserve nothing less than, them, than our most elevated and intimate care and concern and love. So guys, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, that's just the first command. Here's the second one, all right? Still in verse 7, honor the woman as the weaker vessel. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. That's the second command. So live with her in an understanding way, then show her honor as the weaker vessel. Now, weaker vessel is jump, probably jumps straight off of the page at you. Well, that's offensive. Weaker vessel? I'll show you weaker vessel. Yeah? Now, it can be really offensive, so let's deal with that first, all right? In no way, shape, or form is Peter calling women weaker vessels in relation to their intellectual or spiritual or moral capacity. He's not saying that women are somehow lesser of individuals or they are inferior. The scriptures never, ever, ever, as we said last week, never say any of those things, ever, never. Okay, Now, some people argue that weaker vessel is simply a general observation of the general physical strength of men compared to women. And there's some truth in that, isn't there? 
Men and women don't compete against one another in sports. Because generally, the men are stronger. Okay? Now, of course, all the women who compete in the Olympics would beat me. So it's not like all men are stronger than all women. Alright? It's just that there's a general observation of strength of women relative to the strength of men. Okay? And you see that even in recent, I read a report recently, just last week or whatever, where there's transgender uh, athletes now who used to be men who are competing as women and they're blowing the field uh, of the women's competition and now people are all up in arms like, we should never have let this happen. Well, that's, that's because what Peter says here is a generally true observation. But I think he means more than just men are stronger than women. Think about what the context of what he's saying is in verses 1 to 6. He's just called women to submit to their husbands, to voluntarily place themselves in their position of vulnerability and weakness. Okay, to submit themselves. It's a, it's a vulnerable thing to do. And so when he says, show honor to them as the weaker vessel, he's got that in mind. They're, they're vulnerable they're submitting themselves. So don't you dare do anything to misuse or abuse your authority towards them. Don't you do anything to exploit her or oppress her. That's what he means. And this command to husbands to give greater honor to the one who, in God's good purposes, is relatively weaker is right in line with other New Testament commands. Consider what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he's talking about the church and the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. One immediate application of honouring our wives as a weaker vessel is that, husbands, we never, ever, 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 ever bully, physically intimidate, threaten, hit, or raise our hand in violence towards our wives. We never demean or humiliate her or run roughshod over her. A wife's submission, a godly submission, is never an excuse for a husband to be harsh or abusive or tyrannical. And, as we said last week, if men are behaving badly towards their wives in this church, you can be sure that we are committed to dealing with it properly with the appropriate authorities involved. Now, all of this focus on weaker vessel can make us actually miss the main point, which is honour, show honour, show honour to the woman. And actually, that word is to the feminine one. So it's, it's an expression of show honour to your wife and then by extension to all women. So single guys, you can listen up now as well, because here's your bit. This is an extension to show honour to the one who is feminine. That means we've got to recognise, men, that women are different from us. And therefore deserve to be treated differently. You know, you put a bunch of guys together in a room and what, how do they communicate love? They mock one another. We laugh at one another. We jest. We prank one another. We make fun of one another. That doesn't work so well 
with the ladies. All right, that's not smooth, single men. All right, and even though we live in a culture which is doing everything within its power to mitigate against the differences between men and women, to say there is no difference and we're all the same, God says in his word, there is male, there is female, they are not the same and that's good. And it's by design and it's glorious. And honouring the woman, whether it be your wife or by extension all women, is a good and godly way of upholding and celebrating the difference. Now what does he mean by honour, showing honour? Because that's an important thing to know as well. If we're going to obey this command, what does it mean to show honour? Well, let me describe it through an illustration. Imagine you wake up tomorrow and someone from Buckingham Palace is on the phone, guys, and they are telling you that the Queen has decided to appoint you to be the chief steward of the crown jewels. That she's going to move them out of the Tower of London and put them in your home under your care. And that she wants you to be the chief steward of the crown jewels every day until you die. What would you do? All right. What would you do? Here's the first thing I would do. I'd go and buy a gun. And then an alarm on my house. And then a whole pack of Doberman uh, guard dogs. Because I would want to protect the crown jewels. I'd go to karate class to learn fighting techniques so that I would be ready and prepared and alert to protect the crown jewels. I would limit my sleep, perhaps, to two or three hours a night so that I could guard them and watch them carefully. I would be ready to ward off potential robbers and every eventuality and danger. I would be out to protect them. Then I would also probably polish them. All right? If the queen is entrusting me with the crown jewels, I want them to arrive, to leave my care in, in good condition. In better condition than when they arrived, because I would be proud. And so I would get all of the cleaning materials that I needed and the special cloths, and I would make sure that there was no dust and cobwebs on the crown jewels, and I would polish them and make them shine in all of their glory so that they sparkled as fit for a queen. And then I would praise them. So I'd protect them and polish them and praise them. I would put them on display in my house. I'd probably invite you all round. I'd frisk you first to make sure that you were any, any threat to me. And then I would tell you, you know, I know where you live, so don't even think about it. And then I would let you see the crown jewels. And I would have learned all of this information about, you know, the biggest diamond weighs this many carats and the gold is from this part of the world. And the diamonds, you know, there's more diamonds on this thing than you can shake a stick at. And, you know, and I would tell you about the history of the crown so that everybody knew and could enter into the glory of the crown jewels. And in doing so, you would get an idea that I treasured this thing, that my job that I was given. Now, in a similar way, that's exactly what it means to honour our wives. God has given husbands the the command to be the best and chief steward of the priceless crown jewel of his daughter for as long as you both shall live. And so we should want to protect our wives. That we use everything within our capacity. Don't go and buy a gun, all right? That was not the application of this message. But 
Use everything within your means to protect her, both physically and spiritually. That means if you're lying in bed and you hear a noise downstairs, you don't go, well, we're in this relationship 50-50, aren't we? So it's your turn to go. You take your torch and your mic stand or whatever, and you go down the stairs and you or your golf club and you get ready to hit the assailant. You don't send our, we don't send our wives. If you're out in the street and someone tries to mug you, you don't cower behind your wife. Even if she is a black belt in karate. Okay, men, we step forward first. And then once the guy's taken us out and then she's beat him up, at least we can get up and we say we tried. All right? We protect. We polish. Ephesians 5 says we're to wash our wives with the word to make her blameless and pure. So let's make her shine as a God-fearing woman with a gentle and quiet spirit. As God commands that she be. Praise her. Use words and actions and shorts, uh, thoughts, shorts. <laughs> Be a weird thing, wouldn't it? Use words and actions and thoughts to show her and everybody else how much you cherish her, how much you prize her, how priceless and beautiful she is in your eyes. Now, listen, guys, this should not be difficult for us. Because looking around the room, right, men, let's be honest, we all married way out of our league, didn't we? All right? Claire is smarter than me, maturer than me, more gifted than me, more competent than me. And really, every day I should wake up with two thoughts. Number one, Lord, thank you for saving me. Number two, how did she end up sleeping next to me? We, it shouldn't be difficult for us to find ways to honor our wives. And there should be no one apart from Jesus that we honor more than the wife that God has given to us. So, men, let me ask you a question. Does your wife feel honored by you? Do you convey in your words and your attitudes and your actions towards her that you consider it a great honor to be married to her? Have you made it clear to her that you honor her? And what she does and the work that she does under your roof and what she does outside of your home and what she thinks and her opinions on stuff. And if you answer no to any of those, then let me encourage you this afternoon or sometime this week. Sit her down and tell her. And then ask yourself this question. What or, or ask her this question. How can I grow in showing you honor this week? Then listen to her answer and do it. Unless she asks you to sin. And then guys who are, have families, model honouring for your children and then insist that your children honour their mother as you honour her. And remember, this is in the present tense command again. So it, we have never sufficiently fulfilled this idea of honouring our wives. It's to be an ongoing activity. It's not like, wow, I did that on our wedding day when I gave the, the speech. You look beautiful. Yeah, done it. No, every day, no days off allowed. Ephesians 5 calls us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. What did he do? He gave himself up for her. Loving our wives, living with them in an understanding way and honouring them requires willing and joyful self-sacrifice, serving, loving, dying to self for her good 
so that she might flourish as a disciple of Jesus. Let's make it a joy, guys, for our wives to submit to us. They're supposed to. They're called by God to submit to us. But let's make it a joy, not a burden. Single guys, you can practice right now. Almost without exception, I think. Everybody's got a mother. You can practice by showing honour to your mother or to your sisters if you have them. Or to the single ladies in this church. Think about how you can honour them and how you could grow in honour. And ladies, single ladies, if you want to marry one of the young men in this church, you should check out how he positions himself towards his mother and his sisters before you decide whether you want to marry him or not. Because that will give you a good window into how he'll treat you in the future. Then let me say this as well. In our postmodern world with uh, this kind of push towards political correctness and equality and sameness, uh, I think that we have lost something that's good and biblical from the way that we interact as men towards women. And that's a kind of a chivalry and a gentlemanliness uh, that, uh, that I think we should recapture as Christians and as followers of Jesus Christ. An attitude of ladies first. An attitude of honouring the ladies by, you know, as simply as letting them through the door first, holding it open for them. Now, of course, there's nothing in the Bible that says men hold the door open for women or men make sure the ladies go first at lunch. But the Bible does call us to show honour and it does tell us to prefer one another in Philippians 2. So, maybe there are ways in which we should recover chivalry and gentlemanliness on the part of men towards women. And ladies, if, if guys start holding the door open for you, if they start offering you their coat when you're cold, if they say, it's ladies first, if they want to pay for your lunch, if they want to buy you a drink in the pub, if they want to serve you in some way, let me get you a cup of coffee. Let me do that for you. No, I insist, let me do that. It's not a statement of inferiority on your part. They are not trying to put you in your place as the little woman. Let's receive those things as God intends for them to be received, not as the culture tells us we should reject them. Men should seek to honour the feminine ones, the women. So, ladies, this is your permission to kick back. Don't just have to do it on Mother's Day. Let the men honour. Now, that's the first R, the role of the husband. Live with your wife in an understanding way. And show honour to them as the weaker vessel. But Peter doesn't just tell us what to do. He then gives us two reasons. Second R. And these are simple and straightforward. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That's the first reason. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. In the first century Roman world, women were second-class citizens. They were considered no more than the possession of their husband. And so to, for Peter to say, live with them in an understanding way, honour them as the weaker vessel, that's radical and revolutionary. That's counter-cultural it, because it takes women and it elevates them from the place that they are in the culture to the place that God intended for them to be in the first place. 
women made in the image of God, co-heirs with Christ in the grace of eternal life. Men and women who are saved by grace share the same eternal, glorious destiny and inheritance. And so God says, men, that's a motivation to treat them in the way that they should be treated. I think there's, there's some echoes here of what Jesus says, isn't he? The, the golden command to treat others in the way that you would want to be treated. Well, how has God treated you? He has made you men an heir with Christ of the grace of eternal life. And he's also done that with the ladies. And so treat them as you want to be treated. They're the same. They're the same. You are, we are the same. Bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ himself. Who then Peter says in chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. Are God's treasured possessions. So back to our illustration of the crown jewels. God has given us men. Crown jewels in our house that he calls us to love and protect. And make shine. Co-heirs in the grace of life. This should make us take our role and responsibility seriously, guys. This should change the way that we respond to our wives. This should aid our motivation. They're co-heirs with Christ. We're We're different, but we're also the same. God has given us the privilege of being entrusted to steward his precious daughter for as long as we both shall live. So do it. Second reason that Peter gives. If you don't, your prayers will be hindered. Your prayers will be hindered. Now, first of all, this assumes that husbands are prayers. So if you're not praying, change. We've got to pray. We should be praying about our wives and our kids and our families and our homes and our life and our church. We should be praying husbands. The text assumes that. Peter just assumes that as a normal part of life. He assumes that we'd be praying. And he says, if you're praying, but you're not living how God wants you to live, your prayers will be hindered. It's a warning to us men. If we fail to live with our wives in an understanding way, if we fail to show honour to our wives, it's not only going to seriously affect our horizontal relationship with our wives, like, duh, it's actually going to be devastating in its spiritual consequences as well. It's going to hinder our communion with God. You know, we hear, we probably said stuff like this before. Oh, you know, God is a God. He hears all prayers. Well, yeah. Ish, because here God tells us there are some prayers that He doesn't hear. Prayers prayed by husbands who don't live with their wives in an understanding way, who don't show honor to them as the weaker vessel. God doesn't hear those prayers. That's what He says. Your prayers will be hindered. Husbands, if we lack Living, if we lack living with our wives in an understanding way, our prayers will just bounce back off the ceiling. Oh yeah, God, he, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He, he does, he's not hard of hearing. He does hear what people are saying. He's just choosing not to hear them. From men, husbands who are disappoint, dis, 
obedient. And if we're cruel and we're petty and we're disinterested and we're insensitive and we're dishonouring, our prayers won't reach the throne of grace. It's how serious it is. You see, how we treat our wives is not a secondary issue. It's not unimportant. It is vital. This sermon is not just a kind of, uh, you know, take it or leave it. It's a bit of marriage advice, you know, happy wife, happy life. It'll all be all right in the end. No, this is God coming and he's saying, listen, I am so concerned for husbands that they obey, their, obey God and they treat their wives with understanding and honor that I am prepared to interrupt my relationship with husbands who aren't doing it in order to get their attention so that they might repent and change. It's like God comes and he says, listen, guys, if you don't get what I'm saying, I don't get what you're saying. That's how serious the charge is so husbands we've got to be honest with ourselves perhaps we're going through the motions of being a husband perhaps we've been letting our wives do all of the heavy lifting in our home and in our family life and we need to get right with God this morning the good news is there is grace Christ has come and he is able to forgive us and give us the grace that we need to do what he is calling us to do to be godly husbands for our wife's sake for our own soul's sake and for God's glory. Christina Fox, I, I, I know I'm going a bit long, but she wrote, she wrote a chapter in this book, it's called Designed for Joy. It's a really, really good book about how the gospel is supposed to change men and women and the way that we react and relate to one another. She says this in a chapter, the gospel is really central to marriage. Not only because marriage reflects the gospel to the world, but also because marriages must rely on the gospel in order to do so. When we struggle in our God-given roles in marriage, it's the result of sin. When spouses respond in anger towards each other rather than in love, it's because of sin. When one spouse rejects or discounts the other, it is because of sin. But that is why Christ came. He came to redeem and to restore all that has been broken by sin including marriages and all of its details. When we fail in our marriages, the only place we can find restoration and healing is through the gospel of grace. We have to return to the cross. Christ's blood is effective to cleanse and heal all our brokenness. For here is where we are compelled to repent, to turn from sin and to embrace our Saviour. The gospel of grace is beautiful. We cannot do it on our own. Just as our salvation comes by grace, it is through grace that we live out our unique roles in marriage. And it's only through the power of Jesus and his gospel at work in our lives that the beauty of marriages can blossom. So, guys, if we learn these dance steps, the blessings are enormous. Your relationship with your wife will be sweeter. Your relationship with God will not be hindered. And actually, as is Peter's concern in verses 11 and 12, if we live with a godly conduct, it is a witness to a hostile world of the love of Christ for sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that the gospel is a glorious story of a king who comes to save his bride from slavery to sin through his own sacrificial death. Thank you that he has come to redeem and to restore and to put his 
sinners like us back into his kingdom of light. Father, thank you that the gospel is a story of love and grace and of humility and sacrifice. May we, as husbands and wives, live out the unique callings of marriage that you have given to us that shine so they might shine a light in the darkness of this world, pointing to Jesus and his grace. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing one song to close out. Be thou my vision.